Let's give Jesus a big clap right now. Thank you, Lord. Anybody thankful for Jesus besides me? I'm so thankful. Guys, we would be pretty lost without him. Amen. I love worshiping with you guys. It just reminds me of how good Jesus is to each and every single one of us. So thanks for worshiping with me. I would be here if you guys didn't show up, but I'm just glad I get to do it with you guys also. Um, if you're new here, my name is Mitchell Welch. I'm the college pastor here at Antioch. Been doing that for the last several years, and I love my job. I love college students. I believe in you guys like crazy. So glad you guys came here with full bellies. Anybody excited that you had dinner tonight? All right, that's good. <laughs> if you're out of the loop, we just did a little three-day fast, and there's just, let me just tell you, there's nothing like breaking a fast. All right. Moving on here. Before we, uh, if you are new, I would love to meet you before you leave. I'll be right up there in the foyer. Come by, shake your hand, tell me what your name is, and I will tell you what my name is again, and maybe even give you a hug, side hug, whatever, bro hug, whatever. So come by, say hi, I'd love to meet you. Um, before we got, start the message, I want to remind you guys of one thing coming up this Friday night. Very exciting event. I mentioned it last week if you guys were here. But there's a citywide multi-church event happening this Friday night at Grace Anderson. And who's a fan of Grace Anderson? How about everybody? Everybody needs to shout for that. So it's another amazing local church in this city. I have a great relationship with the college pastor there. And God's doing some incredible stuff uh, with the church at large in this city. It is a great testimony that the Spirit of God is moving in Bryan College Station when the church, like the larger church body, not just Antioch, is unified. And God's been doing some pretty sweet stuff over the last several years, uh, unifying pastors and leaders together. We're laying aside differences and denominational preferences and all sorts of stuff and unifying together in the name of Jesus, and we're praying together. So this Friday night, there's an event that I would highly encourage you guys to block out in your schedule, but we're praying, uh, we're worshiping God together, and we're praying for the nations of the earth to be reached with the gospel. That is exciting stuff. I know last night, I think Breakaway did their Go Missions night. Is that correct? Is anybody was there? Not quite sure. All right. Um, and this coming Sunday, uh, we're, we at Antioch are unveiling what we're doing for uh, summer missions this, this summer. And um, so that's definitely a theme of the hour. And we are going to pray into that on Friday night. So be there 7 p.m. this Friday night at Grace Anderson in their main uh, auditorium. Love to see you guys there. All right, you ready to get in the message tonight? Okay, who has been with us as we've done this Defeating Goliath series? Anybody been with us? All right, raise your hand if you've been here both, uh, both sermons. Raise your hand. Okay, hands down. Raise your hand if you've been here one of the Defeating Goliath sermons. All right, hands down. Raise your hand if this is your first time to be at a Defeating Goliath uh, message. All right. Cool. <laughs> this is going to be good, guys. So uh, to catch you up to speed, we started this uh, two weeks ago, this series called Defeating Goliath, obviously basing it on the story and found in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 17 about this battle between a little guy named David and a big old guy named Goliath. It is like the underdog story of all underdog stories. This massive giant that's about nine feet tall faces off this little boy. He's probably like a teenager, young teenager, and David wins. Incredible, incredible Story And the, the, what we're doing with this story is we're relating it to what are the big Goliaths of our day, the big intimidating struggles that are facing college students today. And we are talking about those head on, not avoiding them, not running away from them because we're scared. We're facing them head on because in Jesus, we always have victory. Amen. And he, just in his spare time, Jesus loves to slay giants. 
He loves to defeat Goliaths in our life. And as a, a follower of him, if Jesus lives inside of you, you are a man or a woman of victory, no matter what the struggle is, no matter what the intimidating thing is in our generation. Does anybody believe that tonight? Amen? So we are going to continue tackling some Goliaths, but let me show you something in this story of David and Goliath. There'll be a, a few scriptures on the screen behind me, but to catch you up to speed, there's two armies fighting against each other, the Israelites and the Philistines, and the Israelites are God's people, Philistines are the Israelites' enemies, and the Philistine sends out this giant Goliath and is intimidating everybody and everyone's running away, but then a little guy named David comes on the scene and he's not scared. He defeats Goliath because he knows who his God is and he knows who he is. Now, there's something that happened right before David went into battle that I think is pretty unique and I think it really speaks to us and reveals one of the Goliaths that we are facing in our day. So this is found, write this reference down. It's going to be on the screen behind me. This is found in 1 Samuel 17, 38 through 40. Right before this verse, David went up to King Saul, the king of the Israelites, and said, I'm going to face this giant. And Saul said, okay, you can do it, little boy. Verse 38 says this, Then Saul clothed David with his own armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed them with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go or to walk around. But he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go out with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Let me pause there. So Saul, King Saul agrees to send David out to battle against this massive giant. But what Saul concludes is, well, David, you're too small. You're not fit enough. You don't measure up for this battle. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my own armor that is like what a warrior would bring to battle, and I'm going to try to put it on you so that you, quote-unquote, measure up to this guy. But turns out it's all too big for David. He can't walk around with it. And so he says, forget this. I'm going to go to battle. Let's see what it says in this next verse, verse 40. So instead of all that armor and the sword and the shield, it says that David took his own staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. So when David went out to battle against Goliath, he wasn't trying to work himself up to be just like Goliath. He was himself. He grabbed his own sling, his own staff, his own stones, and went to battle against Goliath. David being himself was really what brought the great victory over Goliath. So what does that have to do with us? We, if we want to see Goliath defeat in our life, need to stop trying to be something or someone that we're not. You being you is the most powerful thing that this world needs. Do you know that? <laughs> you knowing your identity as a son or a daughter of God, walking in your own giftings and your own strengths and your own personality type and your own way that God made you and created you, your own identity, that is the most powerful thing that any of us can walk in, not trying to be something that we're not. So that leads into the big Goliath we're going to tackle tonight, which is something that is really plaguing our generation. It's this topic of false identity, insecurity, and comparing ourselves to other people. That's the Goliath we're going to see defeated tonight. So our generation is majorly struggling with their identity. 
just don't know who we are. There's all sorts of questions floating around in our minds today. Who am I? What's my purpose? What am I supposed to look like? What am I supposed to speak like? What am I supposed to put on? What am I supposed to do with my life? What kind of person am I supposed to be? What do people think about me? Do they like me? Do they hate me? Do they give me likes? Or do they give me unlikes? What, what's, this is affecting our generation greatly. Do you understand? And we looked up uh, some things about, like, why is this the case? Like, people are craving for acceptance and, like, their identity. And we're try, we've tried to search up, like, me and a team searched up some reasons. Why is this, like, a big, big huge struggle in our day? And there's lots of factors but I think the one that's most controllable in, with your life is uh, the use of media today. It's been a, a great factor in why we struggle with our identity. Just think about it. How much time do we spend looking at other people in looking at what they look like, sound like, <laughs> feel like, and what they do and comparing it to ourselves and thinking that, man, this person, that person, this thing is really great, I'm not quite sure about myself. And you know what's happening? It's producing great insecurity in our generation. Here's a few stats of today. The average American spends 727 minutes per day with media. That's over 12 hours. With, of course, 18 to 29 year olds as the most frequent users. And here's what's happening. A lab study was done that said that 42% of social media users admit to feeling jealous when a friend's post gets more likes than their own. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on that one, all right? That 42% might be a low number. Another thing that we found in, in doing some research here, these are guys that have done extensive research. It says, um, posting embarrassing pictures uh, of your friends is also an issue that 58% of people that use social media acknowledge that they uh, uh, felt embarrassed or upset because a friend posted a photo that they did not want to be seen. So this is leading to massive insecurity issues, identity issues, comparison, and I believe it's hindering our God-given destinies for our life. Now let me say this before I move on. Is all media inherently wrong and evil? Absolutely not. We're literally using some media tonight as we preach the message of uh, the gospel. So no, it's not all wrong. But I think it is easy for us to grasp that, okay, maybe so much usage and the way that we use it could be affecting my life, maybe in a negative way. So we need to have a check in that. But this is not a talk on media usage. Though if you are convicted, I encourage you to take some notes and say maybe I could change some things. But this message is a message of hope. A message that you can know who you are in Christ. You can every day be confident and secure. And you can literally, with the security and confidence of your own identity and your own value, can literally change the world. So tonight, I'm here to say there is hope, there is freedom from the big, big Goliath of our day of false identity, insecurity, and comparison. And the rest of our time, we're going to talk about how do we daily live in victory and how do we overcome this big Goliath of our day. So I'm going to pray, and I want you guys to pray with me, believing that God is going to speak to you the rest of this night and give you some hope and some real huge keys to walking in freedom in this area. So God, thank you 
for being here, being so present tonight, being so close to us. Thank you, Lord. And we ask you to open up our hearts to receive tonight. Would you teach us things tonight that would allow us to see this Goliath of false identity and security in comparison defeated in our life? Thank you, Lord Jesus. There's nothing too strong for you. So Lord, we open up our hearts and ask you to come and speak to us. In Jesus' name, everybody say Amen. All right, if you've got a Bible with you, why don't you turn to Romans chapter 8. Turn there. Oh, we've got a few people fans of Romans 8. <laughs> Would you not have hollered if I said another scripture? <laughs> All the word of God is great. But I also really do love Romans 8. So we're going to look in Romans 8. It's a huge chapter about our identity. But before we get there, let me tell you a couple observations when it comes to these, this topic, this Goliath of false identity, insecurity, and comparison. One helpful observation as I read through the Bible is that pretty much every single person or leader that God called to do great things struggled with insecurity. Think about Moses and his response when God said, hey, go set my people free. Uh, 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 I, uh, I, I can't, Lord, I, I mean, I got this stutter. I don't, think, I don't know if you're asking the right guy. And Joshua, the guy that took Moses' place, God had to tell him several times, be strong, be courageous, I am with you. Think about Peter. Peter faced some insecurity. He had some pretty big failures and wasn't quite sure if Jesus really wanted to use him to start the early church. So hopefully to you, it gives you a little hope that you're not alone if you feel like you're someone that struggled with this whole topic of insecurity in comparison. Almost every single person in the Bible has too, all right? And also, that means every person in the world has struggled with this as well. So you're not alone. Now, before again, before we get into Romans 8, I want to just address this topic of false identity. Because really, it boils down to a battle that's going on in every single one of our minds and our hearts. And here's the battle. It is the battle of what God thinks about me versus what others think about me. And tonight... My hope is that you decide which one you care about more. <laughs> My hope is that you start to care more about what God thinks about you than what other people think about you. Now, in the others category, also includes yourself, your own thoughts about you. God loves you. He thinks you're amazing. He made you not on accident but on purpose. And you're the only you in the entire world, and God thinks you're great. Why don't you just say that? God thinks I'm great. Literally, our identity crisis is solved if you really press in to believe this every day that you wake up, that I care more about what God thinks about me than what other people think about me. What other people's opinions and thoughts about you, they're, they're, it's like a roller coaster. It, it's not steady. It changes. And they change rapidly. And it's primarily based on performance. But God's opinion is steady and it's unchanging and it's based on relationship. You are his son. You are his daughter. And his thoughts about you don't change. And he loves you. So my encouragement tonight is that you leave here caring more about what God thinks about you than what anybody else thinks about you. Because it will absolutely change your life forever. The next thing we're going to do here is we're going to look at Romans 8. We're going to pull out three big truths about our identity that set us free from insecurity. Okay, you ready to tackle these three things? 
Anybody excited to be free from insecurity in your life? Come on. Awesome. Now, uh, it's impossible for me to go into all sorts of depth with this topic. So what we're doing tonight is we're providing a resource for you that I'm kind of basing some of my notes that I'm teaching on. It's called uh, the In Christ uh, resource. It looks like this. It's just a simple piece of paper on the top. It says, In Christ. We will have these for you out in the foyer before you leave. But what it does is it takes you through three main um, identity pieces found in the Word of God that God, it's just God's thoughts about you. And it's who God says you are. The first one is, I'm accepted. The next one is, I am secure. The next one is, I am significant. And under each of those topics, it breaks down scriptures and phrases taken directly from the Word of God that can strengthen our identity and get us rid of insecurity. So please take this when you leave. I uh, had a a friend stop by the church yesterday. Uh, He used to be a pastor here on staff, but he's about to move this whole family over to the Middle East to go serve folks over there. And um, I told him what I was preaching on. I showed him this resource. and He's like, no way. That thing the truth found in that resource changed my life forever as a college student. He uh, went to college in Waco, went to the Antioch up there, and someone preached about this. And, and he said uh, he grabbed that resource, and he, like, laminated it or something and, like, stuck it in his shower. He said every time he took a shower, which I think was every day, <laughs> I hope, <laughs> he's a pretty clean guy, he would, he would read over these truths that are literally just truths from Scripture, and he would just declare them out loud. I am secure. I am significant. I have value. I'm accepted. I'm God's child. And he would say this over and over. You know what happened? His life got totally changed. He knew who he was in God, and it set him free from other struggles that he was facing in his life. And it totally renewed his mind. And he said, even into marriage, he brought it in and told his wife in the early days, Honey, don't ask questions, but I'm going to put this right here in our shower. <laughs> Just let me keep it there, all right? So I highly encourage you to take that seriously and make this a part of your life here. So, okay, so what we're going to do is look at three truths found in Romans 8. The three truths are that you are accepted, you are secure, and you are significant. So let's start with the first one. You are accepted. You know what one of the most powerful uh, forms of acceptance is? It's this thing called adoption. Is anybody here, if you don't mind me asking, uh, adopted? Anybody here? Got one person? Awesome. Awesome. So this is incredible. Uh, adoption literally means you were orphaned, you were given up, you were rejected completely by the ones that <laughs> were supposed to parent you. But what adoption is, is that there's another family that comes in and says, I want you. And I'm not just going to say I'll hang out with you, but I will take you in as my own, give you my last name, and I'll call you mine. You're a part of the family. Adoption is powerful. Do you guys know the Bible says that we all are adopted into God's family, and God is our Father? We were orphans. We were left alone. We were rejected. But God brought us in, adopted us, and called us his children. Check out what Romans 8 says in verse 14 through 16. It says, for all, for all you who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Everybody say adoption. Adoption, adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Amazing. We are his children. We are adopted into his family, which means we are absolutely accepted. Now, the opposite of acceptance is rejection. 
Okay? I don't know about you guys, but I've faced some rejection in my life. Okay? So a couple examples is things like that some of you might agree with or have, have resonate with is not making sports teams, not getting a position you applied for, not getting into a school or a program that you really wanted. Uh, a guy asking out a girl and she said no, or you're in a relationship and you face a breakup. All these are great examples of rejection. For me, when I was a sophomore in college, I had a relationship with this girl that I thought was going really good. <laughs> and if I'm honest, I really started to think, like, maybe this is the girl I'm going to marry. But at the end of my sophomore year, I think it was right before finals, I got a, this is a long-distance relationship, I got a phone call. She ended it. So I, now listen, <laughs> the story ends up amazing because now I'm married to someone far better. <laughs> so don't feel sorry for me, please. I'm like so glad this happened. But I remember I faced straight up rejection and to be honest, it hurt, hurt very bad. I remember getting off the phone call and I had a few tears in my eyes, and I was sitting on my bed uh, in my room. I remember this vividly, sitting on my bed in my room, the duplex that I lived in uh, throughout college, and I was talking to God. I was pouring out my heart to him, and I was just asking him to come and give me grace and to heal me. But soon, my tears actually started to turn into laughter. You know why? Because God spoke something so powerfully to me, and I like, still remember it to this day. It was this simple truth. Mitchell, you will be rejected in this life. You can't control that. But I will never reject you. I always accept you. You are always mine. You never have to worry about me rejecting you. Even though man will reject you, I will not. I always accept you. And I put joy and confidence in my heart and trust that I am going to be okay, even though I faced some rejection. So here's the point. We must find our acceptance in God if we want to walk in freedom from this Goliath of insecurity. You must know you are already accepted by your Father in heaven. Next key truth here about your identity that helps you overcome insecurity is the simple phrase, you are secure. Everybody say, I am secure. I am secure. So being secure or safe means that you're okay, that you're fine, that you're safe, and that you're going to continue to be saved, and it means that you have a confidence. The opposite of security is what? Insecurity. I looked up the definition of insecurity. It means that you're uncertain or anxious about yourself. You lack confidence. You feel like you're not safe, or you have a feeling of not being protected. Some factors that lead to insecurity in our life are uh, different words that people will speak over us. Maybe things like you don't measure up, you aren't good enough, you aren't smart enough, you aren't pretty enough, or a good old example of being made fun of for certain things. When I was younger, in elementary and early junior high, I was made fun of for being fat. I was very large when I was little. I was born 10 pounds, 6 ounces. My mom almost died, but she didn't, thank you, Lord. What's also so funny relating this story to my mom is to this day, she still denies that I was fat. But you literally could look at pictures, and I'm like, Mom, I am chubby. Look at this. She's like, oh, no, you were just big boned. This is not even medically accurate. What are you talking about? Okay, so I was made fun of, and it hurt. 
And I didn't know this, but the result of being made fun of for whatever reason, if you've ever been made fun of something before, is you're like on the constant lookout to not be made fun of again. You're constantly concerned about what people might say or do to you. Maybe it's not like you're afraid of physical harm, but you're afraid of verbal things that might hurt you, which means, aka, you don't feel safe, you don't feel protected, which means you're insecure. And that was a massive struggle of mine. But it's also a huge part of my testimony. After following Jesus, learning some of these truths in Romans 8, started declaring some of these things on this resource, I found out that I am secure in God and that I'm always safe in him. And that I don't have to be afraid of the condemnation, the accusations, the comments of other people. Look what verse 1 says in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation, no accusations, no comments that are negative that we ever have to face from the devil, from others, or even from our own mind because Jesus took all that for us. He took our condemnation. He took our accusations for us, and we can be secure. Also, it's not a temporary security, but it's a long-lasting security. Verse 28 is one of my favorite promises in all of the Bible. Verse 28 of Romans 8. It says this, that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purposes. That I know that <laughs> I am set up for success always because God loves me, I am his, and he always works all things for my good. It's not just a temporary thing, but I can look ahead to my future and know even when I'm rejected, even when people make fun of me, or even when I face accusations from people, that I am going to be okay at the end of the day because God works everything for our good. Isn't that so amazing that God is like that for us? Oh, I love that he's so good to us. So we must find our security in God if we want to overcome this Goliath of insecurity. And it's found, again, only in God. So the third truth from Romans 8 is that you are significant. Everybody say, I am significant. I am significant. Significance means that you know that you matter. Do you know that you matter to God? that you are very significant to him. Like I said earlier, you are the only you that God created, and you matter to him. One of the devil's number one lies against the people of God is to tell us that we're insignificant, that we don't matter, that we're too small, we're too unimportant, uh, we're not worth God's time or anybody else's time, we're meaningless and not needed, and that we don't really matter. But guys, that could be, oh my goodness, that is like the worst lie ever. It could not be further from the truth. You matter so much to God. And in the best way possible, you are a really big deal. <laughs> Just look at your neighbor and say, you are a big deal, man. Or you're a big deal, girl. LAUGHTER <laughs> Come on. Amen. There's this crazy dichotomy in the kingdom of God that we are a big deal because God says that we matter and we are a big deal to him. But also, you look and compare yourself and looking out to the world, yes, I mean, we're one of almost 8 billion. So, yes, we understand that. But I think we need to receive the truth that 
God thinks you're a big deal and that you really matter to him. Because what it's going to do is produce security and confidence in your heart. Here's a couple examples of, I think, that just glares out at me that we as his children are a big deal. Look at verse 17 of Romans 8. It says, we're children, then we're also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Do you guys know what an heir is? It's someone that's going to receive a great inheritance, a great place of honor. And the Bible says that you are an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ, which means you're going to receive great honor and a great inheritance one day. And literally it says that you'll be glorified with him. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but to me that makes me realize like, oh my goodness, I am significant. I am an heir of God. I'm going to receive a massive inheritance from God. And to me, that's like, that's amazing. That makes me feel like God actually, like I actually matter to God. Now, here's an example of this battle of insecurity in my life, even in the recent months and years. One of the things that I had struggled with is feeling just kind of weird and not myself around people that I really looked up to and really respected. It's also called the celebrity syndrome. Some of you may have faced this. You find you like you're like interacting with somebody that you really like put on this pedestal, whether you've seen them on TV or seen them on a stage or something, and you just start talking to them, and you're like, you know, <laughs> you start having this awkward smile, and your palms start getting sweaty, and then you're just kind of like, yeah, hi, I, you know, I'm, I'm Mitchell. I've read all your books. I've listened to all your sermons. I mean, I've done all the things. I've been to all your conferences. You're just amazing, you know. And then by the time you finish talking and flipped over a couple words, they're literally just leaving, walking away because you're so awkward around them. Okay? Some of us have felt that before, but what God taught me through this is that the reason I was facing that type of insecurity was because of a big lie that I was believing. And the lie was this, that I thought this person that I respect is very significant and I am not as significant. They really matter, but I don't matter as much. And because of this distance, I was being very awkward and very weird around them. But God showed me, Mitchell, do you know that you're just as significant as anybody else you respect? doesn't mean we don't respect people and honor people, but God taught me, Mitchell, you are just as significant to me as that person is to me. You don't have to compare yourself to this, this significant level and measure that's making you really weird around people. So stop it. And guys, that brought so much breakthrough in my heart. And I don't know if that's encouraging or it makes sense to you at all, but you need to know that you are significant and you matter. And any person you talk to on the planet, even if it's your favorite celebrity, your favorite pastor, your favorite preacher guy, the favorite author of books you read, just you're just as significant as that person even as a 18, 19, 20, 22, 21, 24-year-old, whatever. Amen? Amen. All right. We must find our significance in God to overcome this Goliath of insecurity in our life. All right. We got our identity secure in God because we care more about what God thinks about us than what other people think about us. We are free from insecurity because we know we're accepted, we are secure, and we are significant. Next thing I want to tackle is this little word called comparison. Everybody say comparison. comparison. How do you overcome comparison? Well, there's this little um, 
story in John chapter 21. It'll be on the screen behind me. I want to explain the setting of this verse before we read it. But in John 21, it's the last chapter of the book of John. Jesus has already died on the cross, resurrected, appeared to his disciples, uh, told them a few things, and literally he's about to ascend to heaven. But before he does that, he's having this conversation with a guy named Peter. Peter had denied him three times on the night that he was turned over and led to be crucified. And Jesus loved him so much he wanted to restore this guy. He had told him things. He asked Peter questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He asked three times. He said, if you love me, then I want you to feed my sheep, feed my lambs, which is another way to say, lead my people. I'm restoring you because I want you to lead my people. So he's having this conversation with Peter. And then all of a sudden, Jesus and Peter are walking. And then behind Peter is the disciple John, the guy who wrote this book. And here's what it says in verse 21. It says, when Peter saw him, he's referring to John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So what Peter is doing is he's received this word from Jesus, but his first response is, well, what about that guy? What about that guy over there? And I just love Jesus' response. It's just to the point. He literally just says, it doesn't matter. The only thing that really matters is what I've called you to, who I have called you to be, and you just need to follow me. He literally says, just stop comparing yourself to the other disciples and be who I have called you to be. How many of you guys know we need to hear that as well in our life, is that we don't have to look to our right or to our left, the people around us, we just need to be who God has called us to be. And let Jesus just tell us, it doesn't matter what they're wearing, what they're saying, what they're doing, and how it compares to you, just be you. Look at your neighbor and say, just be you. We are made by who? God. We're made by God. Last time I checked, God is perfect, and he doesn't make mistakes. And I want to submit to you that even in his creation of you, he didn't mess up. In his forming and creating of your physical attributes, of the way you think, of your height, of your personality type, if your giftings, of your interests, I just think that he didn't mess up. Psalm 139, verse 13 and 15, says that, God, you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you, and I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Guys, he formed you, and you are fearfully and wonderfully made, not by accident, but on purpose. And God looks at you, and he doesn't say, I'll look at you compared to this person and that person and that person, the person that you see literally on your left or right tonight, or the person you see in this magazine or the person you see on this TV screen. He, doesn't, he just looks at you, and he says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He took effort and skill creating you and I. Isn't that amazing? And he calls us beautiful. And he calls us Amazing. For the girls in the room, you need to know you are beautiful. 
just the way God made you. Just the way he made you. You don't have to look at this person or that person and think that person is more beautiful than, than me or this. You are beautiful just the way God created you. Your looks and your personality and the way you think and uh, the way you talk, you are beautiful. Gentlemen, you are not beautiful. <laughs> but you are a man of God, a mighty man of God. <laughs> you are strong, you are manly, you are good enough, and I, I want to say more than good enough. Despite what your father ever told you or showed you through his actions, you are good enough, more than good enough in God's heart. And you need to know that that's what God thinks about you, that you do measure up. You actually surpass the whatever measure up standard is because you're God's. He doesn't make mistakes in the way that he made you. There is so much breakthrough from comparison when we realize it is God who made us. Because you know what comparison, comparing ourselves to others means? It's a way of telling God that what you made was not good enough. You know? It's like, well, that's really great. I wish I had that. Or that's really cool. I wish I uh, had that personality. I wish I had that gifting. I wish I had those looks. I wish I had that height. What you're saying is, God, that what you gave me was not good enough. And I want to encourage you not to walk on that line, but to thank the Lord for who he is. And I think what he's going to do through it all is increase our confidence, our security, and our identity in who he intended us to be. And when we walk out in that, I believe there's going to be freedom and life and joy in your life and those around you. So we must know that it's God who made us and we can overcome this Goliath of comparison. Now, the last thing I want to end you guys with is just a few practical things of what do you do when you are tempted with these Goliaths of your false identity? You start to catch yourself comparing. You start to get, catch yourself in an insecure moment. What do you do when you're tempted? Now, let me remind us, uh, I mentioned this quote last week. It says this, freedom is not the absence of temptation, but it's choosing Jesus and choosing truth even in the midst of your temptation. So I'm not saying that you're going to leave this place and never be tempted again to walk in insecurity and compare yourself to somebody else. What I'm saying is that you can leave this place knowing your identity in God, and when you're tempted, you can overcome, and you can be secure and confident. There's four words that I've uh, given you guys uh, over the last couple of weeks. I'm sticking with these four words that I think this is so helpful. When you are tempted with stuff like this, these are the, the four words. It's confess, rebuke, declare, and trust. C-R-D-T, what I like to call it for short. C-R-D-T, confess, rebuke, declare, and trust. First one, confess. When you feel these thoughts in your mind of comparing yourself, you're on social media and you start to not just look at this person because you're interested in what they're doing, but you literally start comparing uh, yourself to that person or you see how many likes they have and you compare it to how many likes you have. When you catch yourself doing that, quickly confess it to God. Just first thing. Say, God, here I am. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm, I'm comparing myself or I'm feeling insecure because of this. Confess it to God, and I also encourage you to confess it to others. Send a text to some people that you love and that you trust, that you know care about you. Send them a text and say, hey, I'm struggling a little bit with, with comparison and with insecurity. Can you pray for me real quick? Confess it. Next thing, the R, rebuke. You have authority in Christ. 
You have authority over every attack and temptation of the devil. You have authority over the uh, urgings and lusts and the thoughts of your flesh. You have authority as a believer. And I think, unfortunately, many of us don't know we have authority, or if we know we have it, we don't use it very often. So what you can do after you confess those thoughts, literally, I just say things with this, Lord, I rebuke those thoughts of comparison and security. That's not how I am. I do not receive that. I just war against it. The next word there is declare. God's word is your weapon and start declaring truths. Declare things from this in Christ resource as you pick it up when you leave. Declare these things proactively every day in the morning, but when you're feeling tempted in this area of comparison and insecurity, start declaring these things. I'm accepted. I'm secure. I'm significant. I'm God's child. I'm, God's, I'm Christ's friend. I've been justified. I'm a saint. I'm adopted to his family. I'm free forever from condemnation. I am loved. I am valuable. You start declaring these things out loud, and I think what's going to start to happen is that you're going to realize who you are <laughs> and stop looking at others for that. Last one, after you confess, rebuke, declare, the T is trust. It's just simply saying, all right, I trust you, Lord, that this battle is yours, and now I'm going to move on. You don't want to dwell on this forever, but you're going to move on just as a form of trusting Jesus. Now, I believe that if we practice these things that and we are secure in our identity, I think that we as the people of God really will be unstoppable. <laughs> There's nothing more powerful than someone knowing their identity and walking out in it. They're secure, they're confident, they're full of joy. They're not intimidated by anyone or anything. And they see the kingdom of God everywhere that they go. But it comes with just knowing your God and knowing who he says you are and caring more about his opinion of you than anybody else's. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to have some of our leaders come down to the front here. Tonight, I think, is just a, an exciting night because I think God really wants to give us some breakthrough. And I just want you to imagine if a room full of 200 people really lived this stuff out every day, like what could happen in your life, in your roommates' lives, in our city, in your campus, what could happen? I believe that there would be lots of change. People will be coming up to you and saying, why are you so happy? Why are you so secure? Why are you so confident? It's because I know God and he loves me. And I'm his amazing child. Maybe if you feel confident enough, you can say, because I'm a big deal. <laughs> Just clarify that you're a big deal to God. So here's the simple invitation tonight. If anything that I shared is resonating with your heart, I want to highly encourage you to take a step of faith and come forward to receive prayer. We, we do this every time we gather because I believe this is the most important part of our service. It's not the message. It's not the worship, but it's your response. It's what are you going to do with what God is doing in you? And there's something that happens when you just take a bold step, get out of your kind of comfort zone, your chair, and come forward. I think there's just something that God does that really seals the deal in our hearts. So if you feel like you've struggled with insecurity, you want just a more confident and secure identity, you struggle with comparison at all whatsoever, guys, girls, just come receive prayer. I think God wants to give you some breakthrough tonight. Also, there's a, a group of folks that spend time praying before our service, and they just ask God, Lord, is there anything specific that you want to do tonight, any specific needs that are out there? And here's a couple things that um, they feel like God was saying, is that there's a few of you that you feel like you're on the edge of breakthrough, but you're just like not quite there. God wants you to just 
He wants to push you over the edge tonight and for you to really receive the full breakthrough that you've been wanting for, crying out for, and believing for for a while. Also, that I feel like there's people that just need um, just a restoration. Maybe of a relationship with God. Maybe it's a relationship with somebody else. Maybe it's with a roommate. Whatever, God wants to bring restoration to you tonight. And last, but definitely not least, I believe that tonight is a night of salvation. That maybe there are people in this room tonight that if you're honest with yourself, you've never taken that bold step and said, I want to give my life over to Jesus once and for all and be his forever. I want to actually say that I believe it, that I'm his. So here's what I want to do. Does everyone close your eyes just real quick? It's going to be short and sweet. I want you to really think about that question. Have you really given over your life to Jesus? Have you trusted him as your Lord and Savior? If you're honest with yourself and know that that's not the case and you want tonight to be a night where you make a decision in the other direction to say, I want to follow God, I want to give my life to him, then all I want you to do is simply be bold and just raise up your hand and you can do it right now. If there's anybody here that says, I want to give my life over to Jesus and follow him, just shoot up your hand. Awesome. Hey, let's give it up real quick. Just at least two hands that I saw go up. Very exciting. You know why this is worth celebrating? Because literally it says in the Bible that all of heaven rejoices and celebrates when just one person repents and turns your life over to the Lord. So if you raised your hand, I saw you, uh, I saw you out there. Just I encourage you, come forward. Tell somebody down here, I raised my hand. I want to follow Jesus. They want to pray for you and, and just get you connected to, to teach you how, what it means to follow Jesus. But I'm going to pray for us all. If any of you guys want prayer for anything, come on down. And if you're not receiving prayer, just worship. And just think about these truths we talked about tonight. God, thank you so much for your goodness tonight. Thank you that we are your children. We've been adopted into your family, and we are greatly loved. Thank you, God, that we can be secure in our identity. Thank you, Lord, that you're breaking off and tearing down, defeating the Goliath of insecurity and comparison in our lives. We are accepted. We are secure. Lord, we are yours. We are significant to you. Thank you, God, that you made us. It is you who formed us, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God, I thank you for us being the most secure people in this city by your grace. So thank you, Lord. We worship you in Jesus.